In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. James Paxson says he's at 100%, but does he deserve a discount in fantasy? Plus, we consider the value of clutchness. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not it. had the three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, May 25th. I'm Al Melchior, and I am joined here by Derek Van Riper. And DVR, uh, before we get on to uh, the news and a little bit of analysis, I uh, want to wish everybody a safe Memorial Day as we honor those who lost their lives in service of our country. And uh, looks like we're going to have some news fairly soon, DVR, on... Um, the economics proposal, uh, the Athletics' Evan Drellich is reporting that the uh, MLB owners are planning on delivering a new proposal to the Players Association on Tuesday. So coming up soon, I'm, I'm sure we will have a lot uh, to, uh, to to report on that and to, or at least a relay. And uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, have that coming forward. But uh, other news we have, which you know is not really, I guess, uh, as impactful, but I think it's worth uh, taking a stop to look at. James Paxton is now saying that he is 100% recovered from his back surgery. I think we all figured he would be good to go whenever a season starts, but now he's, you know, he says he's made the full recovery. What do you think about Paxton in 2020? Uh, given that his first season with the Yankees, it was very much a kind of a split affair, sort of like a U Darvish season with a really uh, not very good first half and then much, much better in the second half. Do we split the difference? Do we still take the the back surgery into account with him? Where, where do you land on that? I think what I have to do with James Paxton is I always have to remind myself that the long injury history is pretty significant and one of my favorite books to read every offseason is the baseball forecaster that our friends at Baseball HQ put together. And there's a section there that I turn to all the time. It's the five-year injury log. So James Paxton has an injury for each of the last five seasons, and now this one, 2020. In 2015, it was a strained tendon in his left middle finger. In 2016, it was a bruised left elbow. In 2017, it was a strained left forearm and a left pec muscle strain. In 2018, it was lower back inflammation and a left forearm bruise. In 2019, it was left knee inflammation. And you could see the number of days he missed all those injuries. Even in a shortened season, he is a pitcher who carries above average injury risk. I mean, we're talking about multiple arm injuries, multiple back injuries. 
those are just the two things that you worry really the most about as it comes to a pitcher's health. So I believe in the skills. I'm not worried about the, let's say, lumpiness of his time with the Yankees in year one from a, from a statistical standpoint. But I'm very concerned about a guy who continues to fill each line on the five-year injury log. Yeah, well, the, you know, I did not dig into the uh, the injury log. I just know that he had had a series of injuries. But I have to admit, it's it's worse than I recalled. Um, so, uh, I, I, do you would you feel comfortable just based on the skills settling for him? I don't know if that's the right verb, but settling on him as an SP two, or does he really get a discount all the way to uh, an SP three? I think he's fine as a two. I, I think skills wise, I believe that there is a ceiling of like a low-end one for a deeper mixed league or for a mono league, even though the ratios last year didn't reflect that. I'm looking back at 17 and 18, you know, 110 whips in each of those seasons, plenty of strikeouts, a sub-3 ERA even back in 2017. So I think he has the talent of a one, the durability of a three, and that sort of just makes him a two, and that's where I'm more comfortable having him because usually you start either losing skills or you start losing something in terms of maybe your innings expectations when you uh, dig your way through that tier. Yeah, well, and I'm glad that you mentioned the the whip, the big increase in the whip in, in 2019, because I think that's something I'm personally going to discount because, uh, you know, for the bulk of the season, really for the first, through the first four months, uh, he had an extremely high BABIP, a 370 BABIP actually through the end of July. And I could not really find anything statistically to justify to justify that. I mean, I think, you know, pretty much with any pitcher, or for that matter, you got a hitter with a 370 BABIP, no matter what their profile is, you figured they're going to regress somewhat. And in, in Paxton's case, I think uh he, you know, there's no reason to think he's not going to be a normal like 300 BABIP pitcher. And then in August and September, he actually did overcompensate with a 224 BABIP that was backed up with a really low line drive rate, but uh you know, that's not something I'm expecting him to repeat over a full season. So I think we can, you know, we can have confidence in the the skills to be sure. And, and that uh, spike in the whip doesn't really concern me at all. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. And it doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each, each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash baseball. That's drinkhydrant.com slash baseball for 25% off your first order. I want to uh, switch gears here because, well, you know, frankly, uh, I think even for, you know, during this this shutdown, it's it feels a little bit light on news right now. Uh, but so I want to turn to Twitter and, and a tweet that I saw that kind of that got me thinking. Uh, and this one was from Preston Wilson, who I watched a lot when I lived in South Florida. Uh, there were a couple of years where I had uh, flex plan tickets for the Marlins. So I probably seen Preston Wilson more than like any other center fielder in person. Uh, he's also a really good follow on Twitter. And uh, on uh, on Sunday, he, he tweeted the following. 
RBIs are a useless stat if you ask some of the numbers people, and numbers people is in quotations. Which is better, a 260 hitter with 20 homers and 100 RBIs, or a 260 hitter with 30 home runs and 75 RBIs? Some guys know how to get it done with men on base. And I will say, this probably doesn't come as much of a surprise, my initial reaction to this was sort of... uh, a feeling of resistance. I wouldn't say quite cringing, but just like, oh boy, here we go, you know, with, with RBIs. But that last sentence, and then there was a, well, so the last sentence, some guys know how to get it done with men on base. I, I do think that is true. Some players over the long haul are better than others, not only in getting hits with uh, runners in scoring position or runners on base, but hit for a much higher average in those situations than they do normally, which to me is really the relevant measure. Uh, and you know some aren't. And he, uh, in a subsequent tweet, used Alfonso Soriano as an example of somebody who didn't hit well with uh, runners in scoring position. I looked it up, and he's right. Uh, it, it wasn't a big difference, but you know he was worse in those situations. So I'm wondering if this is something. Well, first of all, DVR, did you have the same sort of reaction reading that, like kind of resisting that and feeling a little bit like nails on a chalkboard, or, or were you just like, yeah, you know, RBIs maybe don't get enough. Uh, uh, enough love as a stat. Yeah, I kind of had the same reaction you did, and I think Preston Wilson is an interesting follow. I don't, I don't have a, you know, a, a general like negative view of what he tweets usually or anything like that. Um, I, I think this is something that former players and some current players, I think, really, really struggle with. And I, I don't know if it's the language that's being used by analytics people and. If it's that that's actually causing part of the problem, but what I think really is happening is there are some players who put more balls in play and they hit the ball to all fields. So, you know, and they probably hit the ball harder than most. Those players have a combination of skills that make them more effective with runners on base because they're less likely to hit a ball into the shift because teams don't shift against them and they're more likely to get RBIs because they don't strike out. I mean, that's the surest way to give yourself a chance of getting RBIs is to put the ball in play. So I I think, I think you have to be on the broader scale clutch to even make it to the big leagues. Like there's a a natural selection that kind of happens to get to the big leagues. Like you have to be good in clutch situations. Otherwise you're just not going to make it to that level within that group of players. Could there be some guys who are better than others at at kind of feeling comfortable in the absolute most critical times? Maybe, but statistically I then wonder, are there enough opportunities to validate the claim that clutchness is, even exist, and I don't think it does. I, I just sort of wonder if those situations are, are such a moving target, such a limited sample overall. You really can't stake a strong claim to that. Yeah, I you know there are uh, you know I looked at the last three years cumulatively, and there are a handful of players who really do stand out. So I mean, maybe it's it's variable for for a lot of players who are sort of in the middle. But take a couple of examples. Uh, no active player over the last three years has had a bigger positive gap between their batting average with runners in scoring position and their regular, or their overall batting average. Not regular, I didn't separate that out, but uh, their overall batting average than Andrew Benintendi. And I found it interesting because 
not only did he have the largest positive gap over the three years collectively, but in each individual year, his batting average with runners in scoring position was way higher than his overall batting average. Uh, 351, 338, 325. Those are his batting averages with runners in scoring position over the last three years. In the first two of those years, he had 90 RBIs and 87 RBIs. Last year, he slumped to 68, which I'm I'm sort of discounting as an outlier, given how good he has been. Even though last year was a little bit of a down year for him, uh, you know, he s- seems to make use of those those RBI opportunities. And yet, none of the four projection systems that are featured on Fangraphs has him with as many as eighty RBIs. And when you take those projection systems and you use the um, uh, the, the uh, auction calculator that's on Fangraphs. Uh, all those systems place him around 30th among outfielders in roto value. So I'm thinking, okay, if these projections are possibly underrating Andrew Benintendi as a run producer, then is the ADP, which also has him right around 30, is is that maybe making him a bargain? It could be. I think uh, Boston in particular, I mean, and this would apply to J.D. Martinez as well, who's also great in those situations, how much do they lose opportunities simply by not having Mookie Betts there? I mean, if you're replacing Mookie Betts with Alex Verdugo or Kevin Pillar, you're just not going to have a guy on base in as many instances as you did when Mookie Betts was hitting in front of Benintendi or in front of J.D. Martinez. So, you know, some of that's an opportunity thing, too. Uh, I didn't realize Benintendi was that good in those situations. And I'm still not entirely certain that it means a lot. It may mean something, but I would be hesitant to hang my hat on it. Well, you know, you do raise a good point that maybe whatever, maybe that's something that the projection systems are taking into account just the rest of the lineup. And if Mookie Betts were still there, you know, maybe he would be projected for, you know, 85 or more runs uh, batted in. So, uh, that's a very good point. Uh, what's sort of interesting to me is that Bryce Harper, who ranks second behind Benintendi in that positive differential, um, all the pro- all the projection systems have him for 100 plus RBIs. Uh, you know, which is the territory he's been in in each of the last two seasons. I was sort of chalking that up to them maybe linking run production to power, which is a very you know logical thing to do. Um, so I don't know, uh, but uh, you know, it certainly is going to make me think a little, little bit more about Andrew Benintendi and uh, you know drafts that come up uh, once baseball gets going again. Uh, once we know what the the plan is, and again, we should know more about that uh, within the next couple of days. In the meantime, really, really neat piece on the Athletic that uh, is going to be our featured read for today. Uh, the Athletics Multi-Sport Analytics Roundtable Part 1. So there's going to be more to come, apparently. Uh, five different analytics specialists, each in a different sport, including Eno Saris, talking about analytics in baseball. Really neat uh, comparison and contrast across the different sports. So uh, definitely do check that out. And that's going to be all for this edition of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of your subscription at theathletic.com slash baseballin15, and everything on the site is a part of your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we will be right back here on Tuesday. 